Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. This is Tom Salemi, your host. We spent a podcast or two uh, back in the fall analyzing the Pfizer Allergan uh, deal, uh, but uh, never mind. We're uh, <laughs> whatever we said was going to happen is probably true, but we'll never know that for a hundred percent because, of course, the deal is off as we reported last week in the Eye on Innovation newsletter. So it kind of begs the question: What does this mean for ophthalmology? Because that obviously is why we're here to talk about ophthalmology. Allergan, prior to the deal, uh, was uh, an 800-pound gorilla. It was really uh, doing some interesting deals in ophthalmology. It bought Oculive. It bought Aquasis. It was uh, a real acquirer of, uh, of new, exciting technologies. And we were looking forward to that continuing until the Pfizer deal came along and potentially uh, distracted or could have distracted uh, Allergan. But now, again, the deal is off. Thanks to the uh, Department of Treasury, which uh, probably should win some sort of influencer award at an upcoming OIS event. But uh, so, what's this mean for for Allergan going forward, and what's it mean for ophthalmology? We talked to a few Wall Street analysts, uh, VCs, entrepreneurs, and of course, we'll hear from uh, Brent Saunders himself to uh, get a sense of what the post Pfizer Allergan might look like. We talked with Ronnie Gall. He's an analyst at Stanford Bernstein. Uh, and I asked him the question, what is Allergan now? Now that the Pfizer deal is done, uh, is Allergan still the same force that we saw in ophthalmology prior to the, uh, the Pfizer deal being announced? Or has it been diminished in some way? It's roughly the same company. Uh, the fundamentals have not changed that much. Uh, if that if two things have happened, the first one is they delayed some of the uh, some of the restructuring they were going to do, uh, if they were going to stand, be standalone um, until because expecting the Pfizer close. So that is probably delayed by six months to a year, uh, just given the timeline of the of the deal. Um, and second, um, the company presumably um, will need will lose a few people, need to get reorganize the people, reorganize a little bit, uh, now that the deal is not happening. And and to some extent, it is fair to say that there's an open question of if the future of Allegheny is so great, you know, why did the CEO choose to, to sell? Um, so those are all kind of like minor issues, but in the core of the company is the same. So the fundamentals are still strong. Fundamentals are still strong. Yep. Does Allergan need to make a deal? It's you know it wasn't twelve hours after the the the, the end of the deal was announced, so we're already talking about yeah. Bausch and Lomb. I mean, do they need to do something? Big? Yeah. Well, they did not talk about Bausch and Lomb. They were asked about Bausch and Lomb. <laughs> Good point. Um, uh, but you probably want to mention the Upstarist deal, which is within twelve hours of of uh, of the deal not happening. They they've licensed uh, a group of selective M1 M4 uh, antagonists. Uh, for um, cognitive uh, diseases. Um, the question is, the answer is, Allegan does not need a deal or a deal as, as, as one would think about a, a large company acquisition. Um, Allegan almost inherently by its model of not doing its own uh, drug research needs to continue to license in uh, interesting uh, leads 
to allow itself to have a, a good development pipeline. Uh, on certain areas, they actually have very pretty quality deals. If you kind of look at the, the GI franchise, it looks pretty good. If you look at their CNS franchise, uh, looks pretty good. Um, their ophthalmic pipeline could use some sprucing up, as does dermatology pipeline. Well, let's go right to the source. The day after, or the, the morning after the Pfizer Allergan deal was uh, announced as being over, uh, Brent Saunders, CEO of Allergan, of course, held an analyst call. Uh, and in that, he uh, addressed what, uh, what was next. I mean, obviously, Allergan will have some money to spend when uh, Teva is, uh, acquires its generics line. And uh, the analysts, of course, asked how that money would be put to use. Uh, Saunders said growth is through acquisition, clearly is, uh, is a possibility uh, that Allergan would be looking for products that would grow more quickly in the hands of Allergan as opposed to their uh, current owners, uh, could be a big deal, could be a, a string of pearls, as uh, Saunders put it. But it didn't take long uh, for the conversation to steer to ophthalmology and uh, one property in particular. So just to, to, to be clear on the Bausch and comment, um, obviously I, there, I have a fondness for Bausch and that, that goes beyond my time at Allergan. Um, and to be fair, Bauschalam is a premier brand in eye care. Very different than, than Allergan in that most of its focus is in consumer eye care and, and uh, then surgical. Their pharmaceutical business really is one that supports the surgical business um, with regimens that support cataract surgery. They have great people. They, they work. Most of the people there used to work for me. They were a great team. Um, but that being said, you know, first of all, Bauschalam is not for sale. Um, Second, you know, as I said on TV, Valiant um, may be for sale or maybe it isn't. I, I don't know. But, you know, we only buy growth assets. So you'd have to understand the growth profile to see if it would even uh, make our, our screen or, or be interesting to us. And, you know, I think Bausch & Lomb is interesting at, at the right price, given that we're in eye care and it's a complementary business to us. But, you know, it was sold for $8.7 billion in, what, three, four years ago with a late-stage pipeline of 30-some programs um, and a strong organic growth profile, I can't tell today that, that any of those things are still true. And so based on public information, it's impossible to tell that it's, that it's worth more than what it was sold for back uh, four years ago. Brent Saunders then handed the mic over to Bill Murray, who heads up branded pharma at Allergan. And, and Mr. Murray gave this overview of new releases coming out in ophthalmology. In the United States, launches that will hit in the second half of the year in early 2017, of course, following FDA approval, will be two dry eye uh, products, Restasis MDPF, uh, and then the uh, neurostimulator from uh, Oculive, uh, which will be marketed right alongside Restasis. Uh, then we have a glaucoma medication, a, a minimally invasive glaucoma procedure, Zen 45, uh, and then Bivalsin. Uh, which is a combination of uh, bistolic and uh, and valsartan, and so uh, you know all all four of those can create a great deal of value over the next several years. Despite those exciting additions to the ophthalmology pipeline, there will be some gaps for Allergan to fill. We talked again with Ronnie Gall at Sanford, and he gave this overview of Allergan's pipeline. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that they will uh, they will they're looking for additional products to bring in. So I think their statements around Bosch and Loeb was, we will 
obviously be bidders for Bowser Loans if it become available. And and so far, as far as they know, it's not available. Um, and second, if you kind of look at their portfolio and look at the glaucoma product, they clearly could use uh, additional help with glaucoma. They'll be looking at anything available in, in dry eye and, and generally any innovative front of the eye drug. Um, and even in back of the eye, given that they have the darping molecule, the long-acting VEGF, presumably, if that one works, they'll be looking for additional drugs in the back of the eye. They also have a couple of things for dry MD for regional atrophy that they are working on, and presumably, if they're interesting uh, leads in that direction, they'll be interested as well. So I would basically say that in ophthalmologists, they'll be looking at any interesting new mechanism of action. So we talked with Dr. Ali Babahani. He's a partner at NEA, and he's an investor in Oculive, which, of course, Allergan bought uh, for uh, a nice price, given the uh, the state of the uh, the stimulator that's used to treat dry eye. So we talked to Dr. Babahani about what this development in the Allergan Pfizer deal means, and not too surprising, he uh, he isn't exactly disappointed that the deal fell through. When I first heard of the Allergan Pfizer merger, I you know, it, and it's been interesting to watch Allergan really getting active in the space. I mean, they did the Oculate acquisition and Aquasis, and and they've been pretty inquisitive on the ophthalmology side, um, as opposed and, and and as well in, in other spaces that are, they're in, like the germ side. Um, you know, I actually kind of had a sinking feeling in my stomach when I heard that they were merging, primarily because, you know, they'd become an active player. And so I was worried that because of that merger and, you know, the Pfizer-Allergan uh, combination would be a huge entity. Um, and so then the question, you know, the first question I had was, well, whether ophthalmology would be a core area of focus, because, of course, Pfizer had been in ophthalmology a long time ago and gotten out of it. And so, um, and so that was a big question mark. Now, I think um, after the announcement of the acquisition, um, there was a lot of talk uh, from Brent Saunders and other folks that ophthalmology was gonna, going to be continued to be a core area of focus for them. And certainly we never you know, saw them waver in terms of um, their commitment um, to Oculi post-acquisition and, uh, and allowing the team to execute. And so I think all of that was a good sign. But from my perspective, you know, it kind of um, not that you ever, you know, not, not that you ever want to see these things not work out. But my standpoint, you know, Allergan's a big player in the ophthalmology space. And so Allergan as a separate entity, to me, you know, will continue to be a, a big player in the ophthalmology space. And, you know, there, is, you know, there isn't any ambiguity as to whether they're committed or not. Um, because now they're back to kind of being on their own and, and uh, with ophthalmology as a core area of focus. My um, hope is that they're going to continue to not only innovate internally um, with their R&D, but um, also look to uh, to acquire other companies in the space to, to grow their business. So for, from my standpoint, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great positive for the ophthalmology space in general and for the medical device space in general as well. So Dr. Babahani wasn't exactly disappointed that the, of the news that Pfizer and Allegan would not become one what about on the entrepreneur front? We spoke with Mark Blumenkrantz, who has started many biotechs and medtechs in the ophthalmology field, and I asked him what he first thought about the news that Pfizer and Allegan were joining, and what does he think now that uh, that deal is done? Yeah, my sense is, is that the system is a little more efficient when there are more players um, that can exercise you know, autonomous uh, decision-making. Um, and so uh, I think it works from the from the entrepreneur's perspective. I would view this as probably being uh, 
not a huge thing either way, but on the net uh, side of it, positive, uh, mm-hmm. because it, it provides sort of a broader range of options for entrepreneurs and young companies to go talk to people and see about partnerships, uh, acquisitions, so forth and so on, funding, you know. Um, uh, so I, I see it as probably uh, facilitating that process, you know, the, the, the dialogue and the interactions as opposed to having it so highly concentrated that you're, that the options are somewhat limited. But do you have uh, Pfizer as one of those options? I guess the hope was that Pfizer would be, you know, moving some of its firepower into ophthalmology. Uh, are, are they doing that in, in any way? Well, it's an interesting question. Uh, you know, I don't think they've really disclosed, to the best of my knowledge, at least publicly, what their strategy for ophthalmology is going to be in light of this not coming together. My sense is that uh, they've been, you know, a major player in ophthalmology before, and they certainly have the the reach, the experience, and the capital to be another uh, another major player. They have a few products, you know, that are coming towards the end of their um, patent uh, lifetime, and so I think they'll have to make that decision. Um, but yeah, I I think overall. Um, they certainly could re-enter the space themselves now that uh, they won't be doing it jointly with Allergan. So we'll we'll see um, um, how that plays out. I, I don't, I'm not sure I could handicap that at this point. It's a little early for me to say. If we zoom away from ophthalmology and really take a look at the broader M&A market, what does this new Treasury rule mean? I mean, it was obviously targeted at Pfizer, Allergan, and, and inversion deals. But what will the lasting impact be? What are the unintended consequences? I talked to Leah Abraham. She is co-head of Cities Equity Research Team. And she, of course, she's a, a favorite here at the podcast and uh, has appeared at the OIS conference. And I asked her what were the broad implications of this new Treasury rule? Uh, there are certainly concerns uh, that this could affect M&A in the space going forward, particularly M&A between a foreign company, Allegan's Irish domiciled, and a U.S. company. Um, the exact repercussions are not quite clear yet. The rules are, uh, there are several of them and they're quite complicated. There are also potential repercussions on the tax rates of those companies that have already inverted to so their effective tax rates going forward. So absolutely, there are, there are uh, repercussions, which is why this, uh, this rule that was created is not trivial. Mr. Gall of Sanford had similar feelings. He suggested that the real beneficiaries of this new rule will be tax lawyers. <laughs> They'll be called upon to analyze deals until they can't be analyzed anymore to make sure that the tax implications of any acquisition, any merger, are completely understood. We'll leave the final word for Brent Saunders, uh, CEO of Allegan, of course. He was asked on the analyst call what the uh, implications, what the broad uh, ramifications of these new tax laws would be, and he uh, did not mince any words. One of the problems with these rules is, you know, I said this on TV, you know, everybody's talking about walls. They built, the Treasury is building a wall around the U.S. to keep people in. And, you know, global companies, inverted or just foreign domiciled, are going to be advantaged in buying U.S. companies as long as this is the the tax code and scheme that the U.S. government wants to have. And you know, I'm patriotic. I don't want to get on a soapbox, but I think it's it's incredibly misguided and unproductive policy for the United States. But you know, flip side, Greg is I guess we'll take the advantage for Allergan and Allergan shareholders.
Well, there you have it, folks. Brent Saunders has the final word. And uh, thank you to everyone who participated in this podcast. Ronnie Gawley of Abraham, Mark Blumenkrantz, and Ali Babahani. Uh, great insights from all around. Of course, it was nice to uh, hear from Brent Saunders. Thank you to our uh, listeners for joining us for this uh, breakdown of the breakdown of Pfizer Allegan. And don't forget to go to OIS.net and register to attend OIS at ASCRS. It's going to be May 5th. Sign up at OIS.net and we will see you in New Orleans. <laughs>